Welcome to The Shalene Show. Shalene is a New York Times bestselling author, celebrity fitness trainer, and obsessed with helping you live your dream life. Hey there. Welcome to this edition of The Shalene Show. You're going to love today's episode. I've invited into the studio someone who I've been a fan of for quite a while. This is Lisa Lillian. And I know you're familiar with the Hungry Girl books and maybe the Hungry Girl blog, or maybe you've seen one of her top-rated cooking shows on the Food Network or the Cooking Channel. Lisa has a following over 3 million. And what I love about Lisa, and you're going to love about her too, is you're going to hear this realness. Like, she's so down to earth, she gets us. Like, she gets the girl who she's creating these recipes for. She's in over 12 books, six New York Times bestsellers. Did I already say that? And one of the reasons why I was so excited to have her today is because last night I turned in my manuscript for the book, The 131 Method, and it was so brutal <laughs> writing this book. I felt like it was kind of like when I had our first child, Brock, and he was a colicky baby, and I just wanted to talk to other moms. I was just so desperate to find another mom who was like, yes, my baby was horribly colicky too, so we could commiserate, but I could never find that mom. I won't give away the punchline, but writing books is pretty easy for Lisa. Here's the inspiration that I want you to soak up. Lisa doesn't have a master's degree in nutrition. She's not a trained chef. She's never worked as a culinary food artist. She just knows how to put things together. She's what I like to call a guide. That's my word, not hers. A food guide or a guide of any sort is someone who says, listen, I'm not trying to say I'm the best. I'm not trying to say I know more than anyone else. I'm just saying, I really want to help people. And I'm out here with a flashlight in front showing you the way. Like I'm showing you the path. I'm showing you the good stuff. Now she describes herself as a food gossip, but I have to say she's underselling herself. This is a woman who loves sharing things that she thinks are going to make life easier. As an example, like five minutes after she left, she was sending me text messages with the links to all of her favorite platform heels because we are both. I know I'm under 5'2", and I'm pretty sure Lisa is too. So we had that bond that like, oh, it's so great to find comfortable shoes that have a platform and are comfortable. Like this is the kind of person we love, the kind of person who says, I just want to help. So no more wasting time. Let's get to the interview with Lisa. So last night at 2 a.m., I literally hit send on the manuscript for my second book. And when I wrote, finished my first book, I was like, I am never writing a book again. Please explain to me, how have you written 13 books? Well, I just finished the 13th. I mean, the, my, my books are mostly recipe books. Yeah. So it's a lot of recipe development, and I have a great team, and okay. we work together. But it's every time you write a book, it's like giving birth. And by the way, I've never done that. Okay. <laughs> I, I, would, I would imagine it's exactly right. like giving birth. Yeah. But it's really satisfying, and congratulations. Thanks. I'm satisfied today. Like yesterday, I was like ready to be institutionalized. But today, I'm like, <laughs> let's do another one. Go for Let's it. Let's get pregnant again. No. What's your process? Can you share? What's made it easy? Was the first one really hard? Well, the first one, it wasn't, it wasn't. It's like we at Hungryland, which is my headquarters, we churn out a lot of content and I have a really great team and I have a lot of people that have been working with me for many, many years. So we're so used to working on content and we have it down. Like we have yeah. brainstorming sessions and we're always developing new recipes for the daily emails and for the books and for the magazine and all the other arms and legs. So we kind of have it down. And we do a lot of, we have a lot of meetings and it's very collaborative. And 
it's just a lot of fun. I mean, like, I can only describe it as fun and satisfying. Mm. Okay, so let's go all the way back and take us back to when you realized you had the makings of a book. What did that look like? Where did Hungryland start? Well, I started Hungry Girl back in 2004 as a daily email. And back then, there was no social media. There was no yeah. blogs. There was no yeah. such thing as a blogger. Um, I was inspired, I guess, by something called Daily Candy. Oh, yeah, totally. It was in New York, and then yes. it spread to a few I cities. I subscribed, uh-huh. Right, and I just thought it was a cool idea to send daily emails. Like, nobody was doing email marketing. And I am not a nutrition professional. I'm not a dietitian. I'm not a doctor. I'm just hungry. <laughs> I'm like a food gossip. And my idea was to just <gasps> spread information and help as many people in an entertaining way. I love to write. So when I started the email and that just grew via word of mouth. I never spent mm. a penny to market it. It just all happened naturally. When that audience got very large is when I first started thinking about putting a book together. Yeah. So that's how it all and happened. And then when you started thinking about putting a book together, did you assemble something and then shop it around to publishers? No. I mean, I met with publishers. I had actually an agent had reached out to me yeah. and started taking me around to meet publishers. And there was a lot of interest because my audience was growing. For sure. Now you know, as you well know, like you need that audience to get a book deal. Absolutely. Back insane. then it was really unique to have yeah, that audience. Yeah. So it was easy to get a book deal. Absolutely. Originally. Yeah. Um, once I had a fairly large audience. And then I wrote the book after that. And I think most people assume it's difficult to get a book deal. It's not difficult to get a book deal. Anyone can get a book deal. It's difficult to get the right book deal with the right company that can really help you with distribution, etc. I think so many opportunists have popped up now who maybe you uh, have or haven't run into this where I've got so many people in my audience who have paid somebody like $6,000, $10,000. Yeah, I got a book deal. I paid them $10,000. I'm like, oh no, my gosh. they got a deal. That's like, crazy. You deal. Yeah, this is a really common thing. And then they're contractually obligated to you know, produce this book that they're paying somebody else to take them on and quote unquote, they're going to like walk them through basically the self. It's basically self-publishing, but under their name, really. So, I mean, there's so many different layers and levels to this. And I think that, you know, there's ease of access, like you can enter into self-publishing pretty easily. But I think the pinnacle, like the gold standard, people want to have a really reputable publisher help them spread their message that knows what they're doing and knows about distribution. Who was your first publisher? Same publisher for all the books, St. Martin's, and I love them. And the way I look at it, it's, I think self-publishing works if you have an audience. So if anybody out there wants to write a book, they should try to build their audience first instead of just writing a book and thinking they can easily sell it. For me, even though I have a big audience, I wanted the, you know, the publisher to help with distribution because I love spreading the word about what Hungry Girl is to people who may not know what it is. So if they see the book on shelves at Target or at Walmart or at a supermarket or at a bookstore, it's a way for them to be introduced to the brand. And that does help with the distribution. But I love St. Martin's. They're the best partner ever. That's amazing. That long-term relationship, which it sounds like is a theme for you, like even a lot of your employees have been with you a really long time. Customers have been with you, people that you take care of with your brand. Was it your first book, Hungry Girl? It was called Hungry Girl Recipes and Survival Strategies for Guilt-Free Eating in the Real World. And is that the first book that hit the New York Times? Yes. Wow. First book that hit the New York Times. And it was amazing. I mean, I never, the funny thing is, I never thought of myself as a chef or a cook. In fact, like my mother-in-law used to joke, 
she would tell my husband, I love Lisa, but she can't cook. <laughs> and I'm like, I'll show her. I'll write all these recipe books. But the truth is everything, I think the reason why the books and the recipes resonate is because of how easy they are to make. Mm-hmm. And they make everybody feel like a chef. I think I'm more of a mad scientist than anything. And I just like to create and work on things and recreate and remake things that taste like they're really yes. decadent, that are really kind of reasonable in the stats department. When you got notice, Lisa, you've hit the New York Times bestseller list. Tell me what you felt. I just was like overwhelmed. I was in a car. I think we have that moment on video. Oh, I was really? like freaking out. It was so incredibly cool. Was and that I- your goal? No, I don't know. I never really set goals. Maybe I should have. I I never, I don't have goals. I never had a business plan. I'm always just thankful when things go well and I have success. (laughs) I just like, don't overthink it. That's great advice. Exactly. So when you did get word of that, is it something you pictured? Is it something you hoped would come to fruition? Because I always say when people will ask, were you surprised? Are you surprised by your success? The polite answer is always, uh, yes, I can't believe it, but you have to have believed it was possible before it happened or it's not likely it would have happened. Exactly. And when I started Hungry Girl, it was hard to explain what I wanted to do. I know Mm. I would talk to people and they would stare at me blankly because there was no social media and because there was nothing else like it out there. Like my dad, I remember, would be like, oh, okay, honey. Yeah, that sounds interesting. I could tell he was like (laughs) glazed over. So I didn't have any grand plan, but sure, when I wrote the book and I was sitting in the meetings, I was trying to explain to the publisher, I have a big audience and I think they're going to be really excited about something tangible that they can hold in their hands instead of just a daily email. So in the back of my mind, I was definitely hoping that the book would be a bestseller, but I was surprised and thrilled when it actually was. Was Hungry Girl the brand you started marketing and developing before you wrote the book? Yes. Started Hungry Girl as a daily email service in Mm -hmm. 2004. That was the name of it too. It was Hungry Girl. Everything's been Hungry Girl from day one. How much do you think the branding has been a part of your success? I think a large part. I do. And I have a lot of big brand experience. I worked for Nickelodeon for many years and Warner Brothers. And so, and just like my instincts are very like brand centric. Mm. And that's how I run the business. It's all about instinct and thinking about what the audience is going to want and what they're going to respond to. So I wanted to create a brand that people would feel emotion for and fall in love with. Mm. And so I think that is a big part of it. But Mm -hmm. at the end of the day, content is king. If you don't have good content, if your writing is not entertaining or relatable, if your recipes don't taste good, it doesn't matter what your brand looks like. Yeah. It's all about the content. Have you ever made a mistake? You said, you know, part of it is understanding what your audience wants. Have you ever made a mistake where you assumed they wanted something that they didn't? Um, maybe not when it's food related, but like, I think everybody was asking for a hungry girl store where they wanted to buy like t-shirts and things. And Uh then when that actually happened, nobody really wanted them. Mm. So, and that wasn't something. An online store, do you mean? It was an online, Uh an e-store, like, you know, and that was years ago, but that may be the only sort of mistake, but not when it comes to food. In fact, I take everything so personally, like I do a lot of, I write a lot about food finds. It's not only about recipes. So I'll say I found this product and it tastes amazing and I put those products in the daily emails and none of that's paid for. It's all just organic and natural. That's so awesome, that's so authentic, I love it. 
I love it too. But then when someone writes in and said, I went out and bought that product and it tasted terrible. Like I literally want to <laughs> go to their house. Them. <laughs> I either want to refund them or like tell them how to prepare it or explain to them why their taste buds are off. Maybe they had mint gum before they oh tried it. Oh my God, it. you're so funny. Yeah, that people pleaser. I am a people pleaser. Yeah. So then when you did have that initial success, because you weren't a registered dietitian or nutritionist or a professionally trained chef, there's, oh, you know, if there's a million comments, there's always like the one negative. How did any type of negative feedback or even your own thoughts play into your confidence early on? That's a really good question. And I think early on, there was a lot of positivity. And when the negativity started, that's when I knew I kind of arrived. Totally. So it's like, once they start to slam you, then you know you've arrived and people love you because if they love you, they're going to not love you too. So, But with that first slam, it's... I took it so personally. It's it's earth shaking. It is. It's terrible. And social media, everyone is like totally anonymous. And I remember someone told me, hey, you should just block that person. I mean, like if someone came into your house and sat in your living room and started throwing (laughs) stuff all around, you wouldn't invite them back, would you? And I was like, wow, that's a really good point. Yeah. So like you have to just take it with a grain of salt and then realize that that you can eliminate that by just not letting them do that. I mean, I know I... Not giving them permission. Don't give them permission. No way. Yeah. Do you ever read your negative reviews? Yeah. You do? Of course I do. Oh, see, I won't. I refuse. No, I, I know do. it's going to ruin my day. I do, and I try to usually convince them otherwise. Or we have staffers oh. who are like, oh, maybe you did this, or maybe you did that. Or, like, you know, there's a lot That's of people great. now. It's Hungry Girl has always been sort of riding the trends of what people are eating. So okay. early on, I was using a lot more processed food when people were sure. eating that. Totally. Oh and gosh. so there was a lot of negativity about the processed food. Coming back later. You mean like yeah. almost in retrospect? At, right, or even as people were making the transition, yeah. we would hear from people complaining. Yeah. And you know what? It did influence and affect how I started recreating the recipes. Smart. So yeah. the last few books have been completely all natural. Yeah. And I love that. And that's what the trend is now. So yeah. there's definitely a lot. Well, when we know better, we do better. And, you know, for myself, that's really sometimes a struggle. You know, I have to give myself forgiveness because it's what we heard. It's what we knew. And... I feel today a different sense of responsibility, but like some of the things that I was recommending to people, I'm just like, oh, it's horrible. But I was doing it too. Right. That was what it was like back then. So you can't judge yourself now based on what was going on back then. Yeah. I mean, our parents didn't make us wear seatbelts. And now we would just be horrified, right? If someone had their kid just rolling around the backseat. Oh, yeah. And people were smoking when they were pregnant. Yeah. And you could watch an old episode of Bewitched and... You know, Samantha's drinking a martini while pregnant with Tabitha. Yeah, so (laughs) there is that grace. But did you ever struggle with imposter syndrome? You know, that feeling like, oh, I'm going to be found out. I don't belong here. I don't look like. I don't feel like. I wasn't trained like some of these other people. Maybe a little bit when I had my TV show on Food Network. Okay. Other than that, like, because I was sort of made to feel like everyone on Food Network had to be very chefy, uh. and I felt like I couldn't really compete with the real chefs. But I loved the fact that my show was a show where people would actually watch the show and write down the ingredients and make all the recipes. Yeah. And that made me feel good. But that I was a little insecure about that. How did you say. feel about that experience in general, TV? TV, I do a lot of TV. I've done hundreds of, of appearances in other people's shows, and that's fun. But it used to make me extremely nervous. And certainly doing my own show where I had to just look at the camera and cook made me very uneasy in the beginning. It's not my comfort zone, but I made it How work. How did you get good at it? 
I think you just have to do it. I think the one thing I can say, if there's anyone out there that has a fear, you have to face your fears. And when they say what doesn't kill you makes you stronger, it is so true. And I love, I think the thing I'm actually most proud of is that my fear of public speaking and my fear of being on TV, those were two of my greatest fears. And I've conquered them just by doing them. That's amazing. Did you ever work with a coach or ask someone for feedback or did you just, you know, kind of look at yourself and go, well, I know what I need to do better? Well, I worked with a coach, but the coach would would say to me, like, you have to breathe a certain way and chew on a pencil and then like do, you know, say la la la. Like he was trying to get my voice to sound better. And I was like, no, you don't understand when the camera's on. I don't even feel like I'm a human being. Right. Like I'm not in my own head. So that advice wasn't so helpful. I think you just do it by doing it. I would make people hold a camera on me and film me doing things. And I would talk to camera so I would be a little bit more comfortable with it. How often are you on camera and social? Probably, you know, once a week or once every 10 days. So you're not doing Instagram stories daily or? I do Facebook Lives a lot. And I do Facebook Lives for partners, but I don't have a set schedule. So it's usually maybe once a week. With 13 books in such a really a relatively short period of time, is there a specific schedule? Did you sign a a 10 book deal that means I've got to do one a year? Like what's... What does I that need to look like for you to love your life? I did a 10-book deal. You that did? Ended. Yes, I did. I did a one-book deal, then a two-book deal, then a 10-book deal, then Dang. a two-book deal. Like, I did a bunch of different back-to-back deals. But I do them in a way that's really reasonable for the schedule. And I'm very much like a person who likes to be very organized, so I don't want to overextend myself when it comes to books because I want to think that every book is better than the last one. Yeah. And so we just try to be more reasonable. But, yeah, it was... We did a boom, boom, boom for a while. Tell me about the time when you were struggling the most, you know, whether that's before your first success as, you know, as an author or when you were developing Hungry Girl, your email service. Like when was it? Take us back to like where it was just like, I don't know if this is the right thing to do. Like I should throw in the towel. I have no business here. Well, I struggled the most before I actually wrote my first word. Mm. And I had developed the logo and the look and the feel. And I had worked for so many years for TV Land and Nick at Night. And I love the aesthetic of like that retro vibe. And so I created this logo and this character that I was so happy with. And before I could write one word, I just sat there. I was like frozen because I was like, I am now creating the tone and the voice of this brand Mm -hmm. that's going to be with me for hopefully for a really long time. And that was the hardest for me. But once I started writing, it just flowed. Would you say that the the tone and the personality and the voice of the brand is you? Like meaning, you know, if we were to describe the tone and personality of your brand, are we also actually describing you? Yeah, absolutely. In fact, a funny story is I used to have a friend that would say to me, I love the emails you send me. And I'm like, she thought I was just like sending them to her, her, which is a little weird because they did look (laughs) polished and they look like real emails. But I have people that I haven't talked to in years who will say, I feel like I'm talking to you when I get your emails every morning. So it is very much me. I try not to take everything, you know, food related too seriously. And I feel like, especially in the early days, people were used to getting messages that were a little bit too clinical and a little bit less fun. And so I wanted that brand to really reflect my personality. I'm kind of silly and fun and I wanted to really convey that. Who's the, who's the girl that you're writing for? Tell us about her. 
You know, it's anyone that cares about the food that they eat, truly. It's more of a psychic graphic than a demographic, and it's mostly women. But there are a lot of men uh-huh, if, who uh-huh. feel secure and confident reading Hungry Girl every yeah, day. Sure. But it's really people who just want to make smart food choices and who like to eat delicious food but also care about cutting calories or, you know, losing or maintaining weight. Yeah. What you said, I, you know, overcame two of my really biggest fears in life, public speaking, going on TV. What fear do you have now that you're excited about conquering? I'm trying something new, probably. So you you like that. You're an adrenaline junkie. Yes. You like to push yourself. I do. I love to push myself. So that means you love it when you're on QVC. QVC is a really crazy experience. I know. Have you been on QVC? Yeah, yeah. It's Talk it's about a lot adrenaline of, rush. Oh, boy. Those people are freaks of nature. They are so talented at what they do, the hosts. I know. David Insane. Venable, whatever they pay him, he should be making 10 times more. They're so, I like, they can, I mean, they just, they're handed a note card with all the details on you. They know how to pronounce your name. They know your history. They sell it like crazy. And then, you know, you're like sweating and freaking out. And they're like, reading off the card just their voices being heard as it's being broadcast and they're walking onto another set to I know to they're the leaving I know and the funny thing is like I feel like when I'm with David Venable on in the kitchen I feel like I don't need to be there it could be a cardboard cutout of yeah, me I, know. I do not need to be there and in fact one time I was chewing a chicken nugget I made the mistake of like having a bite of my own recipe and it was so dry I couldn't speak for like 30 seconds which is like a year and a half on QVC totally yeah didn't matter it's going down didn't matter David just did it he did his happy dance and that was that <laughs> it's it's fun. So so what is it then that you want to learn that's new and scares you a little bit? I don't know. Like I want to find new ways to help people and inspire people and maybe help animals and I'm definitely a marketer. So I'd like to expand what I do and really enter new territory and that's a little scary for me. Yeah. But I I need to find a way to do that. Do you have plans or have you released any physical products or yeah, we've food. had food products like co-branded flat out flatbreads and mm-hmm. a bunch of um, Hungry Girl was on like a lot of cereal boxes with Fiber One and we did mm-hmm. co-branded yogurt and things like that. And I would do more of that. You would. Mm-hmm. So you found that to be profitable, worth the effort? It was worth the effort and it was really cool to like walk down the supermarket aisles and see Hungry Girl on the back of a cereal box. Yeah. I love that. That was yeah, fun. Yeah, that brand awareness has got to be priceless. So I am creating my own recipes in the kitchen. I think I'm really on to something. I have this huge following on Pinterest. Everyone keeps telling me I should write a cookbook or create something that I could sell. What advice do you have for me? Should I assemble something and maybe self-publish it, create an ebook, or should I go through the process of figuring out what it would take to get a publisher? Let's just say I, I have a decent social media following, no email list. I would try to get a publisher, but I would try to build your audience. Mm. I don't know what the best platform is. I don't know if Pinterest is the best platform. I know Instagram is great. For me, Facebook is huge. Anywhere there's community, I would really cultivate that relationship, build it, strengthen the relationship with the audience, and really be become someone that they look up to and be authentic. And when you grow your audience, they'll they'll let you know if they're ready for a book. Mm-hmm. They'll demand it. Yeah. They'll tell you. You could ask them for feedback. I do yeah. a lot of that. And once you have that, that's the ammunition you need to get that publishing deal. But I definitely wouldn't pay someone to help you self-publish. I feel yeah. like that would be a waste of money. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's great advice. Do you... I mean, obviously, to do the things that you need to do, to enjoy your life, to actually enjoy this process, you need team around you. 
how important and at what point, what stage in the development of your brand did you realize, like, we're only going so far unless we bring on better people? That's an interesting question because I like to do everything myself all the time. Yeah. But then when I realized my mailing list got bigger and bigger, I was like, I really need a better proofreader because what if I start sending out typos? Uh So I just grew very organically. Okay. And when I needed another person, I added another person. I didn't say I'm going to hire a staff now. But when I needed, I had a graphic designer and I was doing all the writing. Then I needed another editorial helper. And then at some point I needed someone to help develop recipes. So we really grew organically. And still the staff is very small. There's probably 12 or 13 people all in. Um, Most of us work here in California. But some are on the East Coast and you just don't grow too fast. I saw that happen at um, when I worked for Warner Brothers, for example, they would build these huge websites with like top heavy strategic teams of executives with Mm -hmm. no business model. Mm -hmm. And I was thinking they're doing it wrong. Yeah. So you don't need all that. It's so much more fun to work with a creative team and not be under the confines of a corporate environment. I hate to say that, but like that can suck the life out of you. It's really true. If I never have to sit through another boardroom meeting, like people who are in these meetings all day until 5 p.m. and then they go home and then they have to work. And nothing happens in the meetings. Exactly. Like, like you literally I, have to get work done. At right. Time. My first job out of college was I was editing teen magazines, and I was like 20 years old, and I just ran the magazine and wrote it cover to cover myself, and I loved it. And then when I had my first corporate job, it was at Nickelodeon, and I would sit in meetings there, and all day, it was like back to back to back, hour meeting, hour meeting, hour meeting, and nothing was decided and no work was ever done. And I felt like I was in the twilight zone. Yeah, yeah. So I really encourage people to be entrepreneurial if they really love work. Yeah. And they're prepared <laughs> to work hard. How strategic are your decisions, for example, to create a magazine, not an online magazine, but a physical magazine that people can pick up at the grocery store? What was the strategy and thinking behind that? That was basically a really great publisher, Meredith, coming to us saying, would you like to do a Hungry Girl magazine? So that decision was very easy. It was just like, okay, we're going to roll up our sleeves and jump in and create a whole bunch more recipes and make it happen. So, so there was no risk. So someone you with that idea, and I assume you have to go, okay, what you're an investigator, as we both have shared, we'd like to be detectives in our next life. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, so you hear this offer. Is your first step to like go research, okay, how much does this require in terms of my brain power, my creativity, my team? Like, how is this going to change my life? Well, I was excited because my I, I was a magazine editor right ah. out of college. So I was like, this is great. I'm going back to my roots. And I knew realistically they had the power and the team to, you know, they were doing all the distribution and they were doing all the photography and all we really had to do was do what we do anyway. We just had to do more of it. So yeah, is there a fear that magazines are not a a thriving business and that is there still a market for a physical magazine? I think there was a little bit of that, but that I guess is not in my hands and all I need to do is put out a great product that I think a lot of people will enjoy. And the magazine is really beautiful. It is beautiful. And you've enjoyed the process so love. far? Okay. I, lo- I couldn't love it more. What is next for Hungry Girl? That's a really good question. I don't know. I mean, would you consider developing, instead of co-branding, but like but developing your own line of food? I would consider it. I would consider it. But you haven't it. looked into that. I have a little bit, but there's it, it hasn't been like there's been the perfect deal or the perfect offer. I mm. always just entertain all the offers or the you know the opportunities that come my way, and then uh-huh. figure out what the best way to approach it is. I mean, I love doing the podcast now, yeah, and that's more of just like a fun little pet side project, yeah. But I don't know. Are you ever tempted to do something outside of this brand? Like, are you ever like, 
okay, I'm, I'm sick of food. I'm sick of recipes. I really want to do personal development or I want to share with women how to do what I've done. Like, are there other avenues that grab your attention? Yes. I would love to help women. I'd love to inspire women. I think what you do is so incredible and it's just really impressive. Um, I'd love to dip my toe in that water and also help animals. I am mm, such an animal that's really lover important. that I would love to find a way to take my marketing skills and help raise awareness and lots of money mm. for, for animals in need. Aside from the podcast, what does that look like in terms of helping people let's you know animals probably something we can figure out or imagine but how would you want to help women to believe in themselves would you want to teach them the things you've learned about business and marketing like what really lights your fire it is all of the above and i love the fact that when i go and i have book signings and i meet people and i answer questions or we have a hungry girl cruise it is inspirational and i find myself sometimes not only talking about food and going off on tangents and i love it so i don't really know what it looks like but i yeah. think there's a lot out there and a lot of ways that i can help and inspire people i love that you're not worried about that either like you just let it evolve i think so many people believe gosh i better come up with this massive business plan and strategies and you know predictions for the next three years and really because they spend so much time planning and trying to make things perfect they never launch exactly you know? and I never worked like that I never had a giant business plan I never wanted to I don't like to expect something that may or may not ever happen so I just like to take one day at a time are you okay with making mistakes <sighs> I hate making mistakes but I mean I think you have to take every mistake you make as a learning experience yeah so that's what I'm trying to figure out is because I want to get into the psyche of the person who just won't launch. They just, they will not pull the trigger. They're rewriting the blog. They're, you know, perfecting all the posts that they're going to use to start their Instagram account. Like they won't pull the trigger and put themselves out there. And I assume that these people, obviously, there's some perfectionism that paralyzes people. But then I meet someone like you who you're going to throw it out there, but there is a little bit of perfectionism in there too, yes? Yeah, I mean, and people who are afraid, they may be afraid of success or they're afraid of failure or a lot of people don't know. Like, I think you have to really know yourself. I always say this when I'm talking about people changing their eating habits even. There's not one thing that works for everybody. Right, There's right, no right. eating plan that's like a magic bullet eating plan. Right. You have to understand what works for you. And it's the same, I would say, with when you're launching something. Because yeah. early on, people would come to me and say, I want to do exactly what you do, uh -huh. except not with food, and I hate to write. So I'm going to hire somebody to write all the content. And I'm like, well, maybe you should rethink that because it has to be authentic. Yeah. Whatever you do has to come from a very authentic place, yeah. I feel. What would you say is the biggest difference about publishing a book, releasing a book, today versus even just five years ago? I would say that publishers are not all that interested in helping you market the book. <laughs> if, you're, if you're a new author and you don't come with your own audience, it used to be a different world. Like the publishing oh, yeah. business was like, we're going to find this new author and we're going to help build this brand. But now they want already established brands. Yeah. And that is probably the biggest change. You're going to move your own book. Exactly. You know, yeah, yeah, you have to. You have to be prepared to do that and hope that you have a partner that works hand in hand with you. And what would that look like? Well, with me, I mean, I've done so many book tours and they'll send me out on the road or they, they have a big marketing plan and they'll, you know, pay to have the book in front of, you know, certain parts of Barnes and Noble and a certain category at a certain place with certain promotions. You want to make sure you have support from a publisher for that. But mm -hmm. I feel like they'll support you if you bring 
equal support to them. So I think it is important to have an audience, to have a big audience Mm -hmm. before you think about writing a book. So, so, so true. Let's talk about the plan that most publishers put in place. Um, What is your opinion on how much a book tour actually moves the needle? It's interesting. I think it's changed a lot. I feel like these days a book tour probably doesn't because I've done so many book tours and I love them because there's nothing I like more than meeting the fans face to face. Mm -hmm. So personally, I love them. But it isn't what it used to be because everyone's really savvy and they want to buy the books on Amazon and buy them when they first come out and they want to get it for the best price. So I'll go to 16 cities and in most of those cities when I go to a book signing people are bringing their own books. And a lot of times where you have the appearances they say we're not going to let anybody in with their own books they have to buy the book here and then I say no I won't do that because I want to meet any fan that wants to meet me they can bring old books, new books, no books. Yeah. I, I just want to meet whoever wants to come out. So it gets a little difficult there. Mm-hmm. And even doing morning television appearances, yeah. it's a blip. It, it is a blip. Yeah. You, you have more success absolutely. just doing your own thing so, on Facebook. Social. Yeah. yeah. Social. Absolutely. Yeah. I um, I tell people that the, the year I did, because I, I try not to do much TV because I know that because it, it works me up. I got to buy an outfit. I'm all stressed out. Um, got to get your yeah, hair done. I, yes. And, and I hate... <laughs> Not having the opportunity to like say more than a 30 second sound bite. So they're stressful, they're, you know, a lot of pressure, there's all these things. And then it's like for nothing. You know, I never see any increase in traffic to our website. It doesn't matter even what the appearance is, it just looks like you're doing important stuff. Yeah, I mean, and, it, and, it, and also it's like perception. Perception, So people yes. perceive that it's a really big deal. So it is a big deal because some people perceive it and then they'll yeah. think of you differently. But there are still appearances. Like whenever I do an appearance on Dr. Oz or The View or Good Morning America, I see a, a big bump. Okay. Like a lot of the national stuff, even yeah. QVC. Yeah. I think QVC is tough because the QVC audience is even very savvy. So they'll see you on QVC and then go to Amazon to buy the right, book because it's right. half the price. Yeah. So it's interesting, but it's still, anything national is still really good exposure. So I do think it's a good idea. If national TV wants to have you on, go for it. Never say no. Well, I've so never said no. Aside from, which I think we'll both agree, the most important element of moving a book is having an email list of people who like legitimately love you and believe in what you're doing and, and almost feel like they co-created. Mm-hmm. Aside from that, what's the second most powerful thing that someone can do to help move their book get the, get the message out just have a great book like <laughs> if your book is good you have to trust the world at yeah. large to yeah. know and spread the word so if you're putting out really good content people will talk about it yeah so if you have a, any sort of list and they tell their friends and their friends tell their friends yeah i say that's the word of mouth of marketing is what my whole brand was built on so i think that's probably the next best do thing. you have plans for your 14th book well, I know I'm doing one, but I don't, I don't know what it is yet exactly. I think we'll wait and see yeah. you know, what, uh, what's going on with food trends. I, so tell me about that. How, how much do you allow trends to, I think you'd have to, right? Like you have to pay attention to what's going on with trends to help you serve your audience. Yeah, for sure. And how hard is that for you? It's not hard because I have an open dialogue with them and we can go, on, you know, whether it's in the email or on Facebook or anywhere and say, hey guys, what do you think of this, that, or the other thing? Yeah. And then you'll get like hundreds or thousands of people commenting. Like this next book that's coming out is called Simply Six and it's just six ingredients or less and it's all natural recipes. And yeah. everybody has been saying they want easy, 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 yeah. easy. Yeah. The easier, the better. So that's why that book is 
coming out. Are there ever food trends, dietary trends, if you will, that you just don't agree with? And you're like, Ugh, I don't want to write the book that's got all the keto recipes or all the paleo or whatever. It sure. Is. Yes. And yeah. both of those things are things that are not like they're not for me personally. I understand like gluten free was huge. It's still big. And my, a lot of my recipes happen to be gluten free, but I happen to really enjoy gluten. Mm-hmm. So I'm not a gluten free person and I'm not a keto person. But I do have people on staff that have lost a lot of weight sure. um, on the keto diet. But if it doesn't feel authentic to me, mm-hmm. then I'm not going to do it. OK, that's fair. And when you think about how your customer has evolved, what's different about the girl who bought your very first book and she's buying your 13th book and your 14th book, what's different about her today? She's reading labels. Oh. She's paying attention to things that didn't, you know, really occur to her to pay attention to 10 or 12 years ago. And she's probably not eating sugar-free Jello mm-hmm. like like <laughs> we all used to one. do. Yes. <laughs> or like fat-free Cool Whip yeah, and things yeah. like oh, yeah. that. Absolutely. That was like a recommendation of mine. Yeah, same. Yeah. Same. We're all... And by the way... I am not perfect. I still eat those things. And I feel like that's why the brand is so relatable. Yeah. Because I don't only eat clean, all natural things. I try to make smart choices. I always say I live by the 80-20 rule. Yeah. It's like 80% of the time I'm doing the right thing, 20% I'm just being a human. Yeah. Yeah. Be a human. Be a human. Yeah. Check however many boxes you see that there's a sign so we can prove you're not a robot. (laughs) We need to... Seriously, sometimes you feel like if you're looking on Instagram, if you're... If you're paying attention to some of the people who are leaders, thought leaders in nutrition and food, you feel like, gosh, this is unrealistic. It's just, it's really unrealistic. And I think there needs to be more grace. Yeah. And that's why I started Hungry Girl, because back in the day, it was always like people sending these messages that were so extreme that people were tuning those messages out. So it it wasn't even like they were telling you, like, you should eat fruits and vegetables instead of eating that brownie. And people tune out that message. And I was probably one of the first people to say, you know, get the 100 calorie pack of Oreos. Yeah. You know, it's okay. Eat the Oreos, but don't eat a sleeve of regular Oreos. Right, right. So I think it's that permission that allows people to take baby steps to be smarter about their health. And was there ever a temptation for you to go get your culinary degree or become a nutritionist, like any of those credentials where it's like, oh, I'm going to fortify my receipts so that no one has the opportunity to poke holes in what I'm doing? That's a great question. And like, I would think about it for one second and then say no, because another thing I am is I'm your best friend that knows all the answers or how to get all the answers. So I (laughs) have my, I've got my posse. Like I have my dietitians and my people that I can call my doctors to get the information that I don't know. I don't claim to know everything, but I know every, I know everyone kind of. That's so powerful. (laughs) And I want people to really hear that because we think we have to be it all. And we don't, Mm -mm. especially if you're smart enough to have smarter people around you. You know, I always say this is the one through one is not my diet. It is I'm pulling it all together, the experts, but I'm not an integrative medical doctor. I am not a nutritionist or a registered dietitian. But I'm good at picking out scams. I'm really good at cross-referencing research. And I'm a detective. So. Exactly. Exactly. I think I'm we're really finder. we're really similar in that way. Yeah. And I think nobody like it doesn't matter if you're a trained in anything if you are helping millions of people. Yeah. You're not giving medical advice that's right. going to harm them. Right. It's Sometimes just about it means not necessarily being an expert, but being really good at finding them and pulling them together and summarizing and mm-hmm. and helping an audience that way. So I hope that people will. Again, just if it's something you're passionate about, if it's something you're really interested in, you don't have to be the ultimate authority on it. 
you might want to just be good at finding authorities and pulling them together and deciphering them and knowing what's real and what's not if you're good at that that's an amazing skill set especially with everything that you see on the internet and all the confusing messages so yeah yeah, if you're good at cutting through the bs how would you inspire the woman who's listening who has a desire to maybe not write a cookbook but to write a book but to get her message out to like help other people and to take this thing that she's super duper passionate about and everyone's like you're so good at this what would you tell her she needs to do I would say start with social media, Mm. whether it's an Instagram page or if you want more space to write things, Facebook or even a blog, just to get your thoughts out there and see if you could create some kind of list or group of followers who believe and sort of appreciate what you have to offer. And the book would come out of that, I would say. I love that. I was spending time on Instagram the other day looking at one of the hashtags that I follow, which I think is called like hashtag all white rooms or something right and one of the posts was this girl standing on a ladder like with wallpaper half falling down her and i it caught my attention i clicked on it her account i was like this girl is off the chain like she is so good at design she is so good on camera she had like maybe a thousand followers her account was unbelievable like i was like somebody's got to be behind her branding this it's just phenomenal she's phenomenal i want to learn from her she's entertaining she's providing such great knowledge and i'm like i just pray that this girl sticks to this like stay in this niche girl because you're you're killing it and to think oh she's got a thousand followers and she should really have a million because some of the dumbest things have a million followers Mm -hmm. so don't let your the size of your social media or the number of likes you're getting be discouraging for you because sometimes just one person can stumble upon you and it it blows up exactly and like i love finding people like that and i'll promote them i'll say this is a person that i love and i think is great i I do the same thing with small brands like baby brands that have food products that i think should take over the world and that have no one knows about it and i just i love to help the underdog so that's an abundancy mindset i think too many people have the opposite you know they're like well i'm i can't share any part of the attention i get from my email list with this other brand but that's such an abundancy mindset to go like no i'm gonna i'm gonna turn my audience on to this gal and to this small brand and i just think that god blesses us with that like more of that rains down when we're not afraid that it's going to run out completely agree yeah well it's been such an honor to have you here today i mean i'm just mesmerized by how calmly you've built this ginormous brand and the just mountain of work and followers and it's really remarkable very inspirational well thank you and back at you like a thousand times because i'm totally fangirling out because i'm i just really admire you and everything you do thank you so much this edition of the shaleen show was brought to you by 131 movement stop dieting save your brain save your gut live longer feel better Stop going on a diet or following somebody else's rules and figure out what it means to have your own diet. Figure out a method that actually serves you, that helps you to be a better version of yourself. Let go of all of this craziness and confusion that surrounds diet and understand the science, the science of one, the study of one. Join the 131 movement today. We're taking back the word diet and getting what we are rightfully entitled to which is our health. You deserve not just to look amazing, but to feel amazing. I'd love for you to learn more about my personal journey and why this is a true passion for me. 
I invite you to learn more by going to 131movement.com.